Welcome to the Digital Dudes Podcast. We are here with a special guest today, Jennifer, and I keep wanting to say la blah, la blah, like a French, like it's French, but it's not French. It's not. How do you say? It's la back, but la back. you can say la bac. either one. You don't get annoyed? Um, no, because it's not really my name. It's my adopted name from no. my husband, so I don't really care. <laughs> what was your maiden? Uh, Messina. Messina. How do you spell that? Uh, M-E-S-S-I-N-A, like the straight wow. of... In Italy. Oh, well, yeah. I should be more cultured to yeah. get that. Um, well, you're here with us today because you're new with the company and Reed thought it would be really fun to get uh, an interview of your first take of your first five days. But why don't you just quickly, um, well, we know who you are now, your name, but uh, your title and what you're going to do here. Yeah. So I am the new director of organic media and marketing. Yes. <laughs> so what are you going to do here? So I'm going to work on building the team and work on uh, how we uh, go to market with Fiona and Digibull and support the agency and then as well help support our clients around organic media needs. Yep. So that includes our SEO team, our organic social team. So like managing folks' uh, social profiles and feeds. And then separately from that, it, when you say marketing, it's a more digital and Fiona yes. marketing. It's kind of our mar CMO role yes. almost. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Um, so on this episode, it goes way longer than I thought it was going to go. I thought we were, that's not your fault. <laughs> that's our <laughs> fault. But it was because it's such a good conversation. We, uh, we got, get into your background, kind of your, your story, your journey to get here. Um, we get into microsites versus property management, like centralized sites. We talk a little bit about the interview process and what the first five days have been like for you. And then we go on a tan a little bit of a tangent, uh, but about philosophy of content, um, similarities with your prior roles, uh, which was more in children's healthcare versus like what, what you've seen so far in apartments. And we definitely um, just have a, a nice little spirited conversation about that. Yeah. Lots Anything of else you think we talk come. about? Lots of good questions that we'll have to answer in a few months. Yeah. Yeah. You have a, a nice like to do list of things. Yes. Well, your fun fact was you were nearly almost famous. N nearly. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys have to listen up to, to get that. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks. So Reed, why don't you kick us off? All right. Well, today we have a very special guest, at least in my eyes, and I think the rest of the companies, uh, Jennifer Labak, who we hired just a few days ago uh, to take on our director of organic media and marketing position. And um, I'll kick things off with just quick backstory on this. Um, Guido Selnick, who had held the role um, essentially before, um, she left us, I think, in November. And uh, we were just, I don't want to say limping to the finish line as far as 19, but super busy just trying to get to the end of the year and then decide how we we're going to approach um, backfilling for the position in 2020. And part of that question was, should we look for somebody just to handle SEO and just to handle marketing? Should David and I, which, you know, we were kind of doing like take this on um, for X amount of months um, and and just kind of slow play it. And we went ahead as we as you should and, and posted, you know, the position. And I, I don't know if we posted both, uh, but we posted the position just to see, you know, what kind of candidates would come in. And I told David just a, a couple of weeks, I think, uh, after we posted the position that I had somewhere around five, 500 candidates. And it was like, holy cow, I'm, I'm never going to get through this. And of course, a lot of them were like, 
people that worked at Disney world, you know, <laughs> that had no, no experience. Um, and so, uh, that made me even less, I guess, inclined, uh, to spend the time there, even though I knew we probably needed to, to start getting more committed to the search, getting to the point. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think it was just one night. I don't even know if I told you this, Jennifer, but it was one night I decided to actually look at some of the applications and yours popped out. Uh, and there was a couple of others that intrigued me, but yours just stopped me in my track. Um, I loved your background in particular, um, the, the industry, you know, being healthcare and working at children's hospitals that you were in and then, um, the experience level. And then I noticed the same thing you did when we first talked is that we had a lot of overlap as far as the markets that we had spent time in. And so I was really intrigued, but I didn't reach out to you right away. And then I don't remember the exact day, of course, but when we did talk and I think it was in mid to late January or this December. Okay. Cause it was on break. Right. I was out and then there you have it. Yeah. December. I told David, I think the day after I was like, and don't take this the wrong way, but I was like, I'm in love. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I found our Canada. I think she's amazing. And I talked to David for probably two hours, um, you know, before he even had a chance to meet you about how excited I was. Um, cause it was just a great conversation. And so the connectivity that like early preamble or ramble, uh, which is a better way of putting it was, we went from maybe we should just both handle this for now, or maybe we just hire one to it becoming a no brainer that we wanted you to come in and take uh, both of these key departments for us. So the organic media, we probably should define that real quick. Uh, not everybody is listening to this probably knows what we're, we're talking about, but that's really our organic social offerings um, as well as uh, the SEO reputation management, things like that. And then the marketing is what it, what you expect. And we feel like we have a great brand but there's a lot of room for, for growth. And we're just so stoked that Jennifer is going to get, get the reins on this. So that's my, my build up my intro, uh, to have Jennifer join us today. I'm excited. Well, me too. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, thanks for sharing the love on Valentine's day. <laughs> yes. Wasn't that Yeah, we are. We are recording on Valentine's day. I, I say that I thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it'd be helpful. You sort of touched on her background for a second, but maybe to have her run through some of it or their highlights yeah. you want her to poke on. Yeah, no, I, I think we should let her do that. Um, but the point of this, and we've done it, uh, not, it's not become a tradition yet, but it probably should as far as a new hire, but obviously this is a very key hire for us. And as digital grows and expands, we're looking at, at more senior leaders bringing in to help lead this company into the future. And that's another reason that, that she's here. So, um, yeah, Jennifer, why don't you share with us, uh, some of your background and then, you know, maybe end with kind of how you got acquainted with digital and your interest in your first few days on the job, like how you're feeling about it. Have you yeah. first off, Jennifer, you listen to a lot of podcasts, right? I do. Did you ever listen to the skim? No. Oh, I was going to give credit. They say skim your resume. Okay. So oh. shout out. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, well, thanks. And it's been five days and, um, I really appreciate how welcoming everyone has been. It's been really wonderful. So I can talk on that a little bit later, but, um, I am joining Digible from, uh, 12 years at Children's Hospital Colorado, and I was their director of digital strategy, um, digital communication strategy, I should say, um, and then prior to that, I uh, in, lived in Seattle before I moved to Colorado and worked at Seattle Children's um, in the digital team. And then prior to that was in more of the Microsoft technology world. Um, 
And of course, working in the children's hospital uh, world has been very uh, fulfilling and, you know, it, it, it's been interesting to um, come into Digible because I actually have seen a similar type of team environment and people being really supportive of each other. And uh, that was something that was really important to me and was kind of a common thing, I think, at Children's um, Colorado here. So that's been really cool. So you guys are doing a great job with that. Um, my, uh, background was really rooted in content, um, going way back, I guess. Um, I was a journalism major. My dream was to be uh, a music writer. I thought that I was going to write for Rolling Stone and moved to New York. Very cool. Um, I didn't know that. The fact that we, uh, <laughs> we didn't get out of her on the first yeah. day. That's what was correct. this? You watched you know, prior to Almost Famous or? It was prior to that. Yes. Mm. I it think could it have been you. Still, it could have been me. <laughs> um, I think it was, you know, growing up MTV generation and uh, growing up in a small town in Texas and wanting to do something really cool and fun. And so all through college, I lived in Austin, um, you know, got to interview bands and um, I thought that was wonderful. Um, and it's really ironic now because I usually don't um, stay out past 10 and I'm, I'm terrible about seeing live music. So I probably need to reconnect with some of that. I think that'd be fun. For sure. <laughs> We'll take care of that. Well, what, what do you think? Just, I have to get into it, but what, what got you off course? Like how long it's like, I told Reed I wanted to be a farmer until I got like out of high school. And it's like, Oh, I'm not a farmer. Yeah. So, uh, it was pretty immediate. I think after graduating, um, and kind of realizing like, wow, that was really fun in college. That's probably not the job I really want to do. And Mm. I wasn't feeling like I wanted to move to New York. Um, I chose Seattle instead. And Mm. I wouldn't say that's probably the, I mean, actually there was a ton Seattle's of music, got that of grunge thing. Yeah, I guess. Cobain. Um, but I, I chose to go West just because, um, I wanted to experience mountains and adventures more in the outdoor type space. And I was curious about what was happening with technology. Um, so I was there during the original dot-com boom, um, and worked for a small company for, you know, like three months before I think they shut down, and, hmm. you know, had some of those experiences, which was fun. Do you got any fun to, I didn't know about this. I knew about Microsoft and that's kind of where I understood, yeah. but what kind of company was um, it? It was shop.com. It wasn't shop.com. It was, um, there was like a letter in there, something shop.com. I don't even remember. Yeah. And it was basically <laughs> like, an impression. Yeah. I mean, it was basically, you know, catalogs that were going online. It was in the very early days mm-hmm. and, um, you would get discounts by signing up to get their discounts. It was kind of random. Mm-hmm. It didn't, it didn't last. <laughs> was it like the typical thing? Like they raised a, it was free shop.com. That's what free shop. Hmm. And so they raised a ton of capital during the boom. And then as soon as the market crashed, they, they, like everybody else almost couldn't survive it. Yep. So then what did that leave you with? I mean, you were in Seattle at the time, so Mm -hmm. Redmond. So, um, I had a couple of experiences of, um, that being a sudden layoff. And then the agency that I worked for that mostly worked with Microsoft and actually, we only worked with one client at Microsoft. And so when that ended, there was no other plan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So many of us, you know, showed up to work and they were like, we're really sorry. We don't have a company anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, I was young and flexible and it was fine. It wasn't the worst thing that could happen. And actually 
from that experience, I became an independent contractor directly with Microsoft um, and worked from home for a year, wore my yoga pants every day and, <laughs> you know, just went to campus. You were an early days. yoga pants adopter, uh, yeah, apparently. I was. Trailblazer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So were you doing the uh, builds or just like uh, the content when, mm -hmm. when you're an independent contract? Um, we, so I worked for the uh, enterprise education group um, at Microsoft. And so I was managing the content flow. A lot of it was getting submitted from different marketing managers and then facilitating the publishing to the website. Um, and then they had a newsletter and a couple of their properties that I was coordinating and then confirming it was good to go. Cool. Yeah. And then how did it, yeah. So it, from the Microsoft, um, phase, I guess I, um, I got kind of bored working at home and not mm -hmm. seeing anyone. And, um, I did miss being part of something bigger. And so I uh, just, you know, as building your network and having friends who were doing cool things had, um, my friend Christian Watson, who, um, is a world traveler and lives in Thailand now. And he was actually on, um, the HGTV show, one of those like international, no um, way. it was last year and I was watching TV. I was like, that's Christian. Wow. <laughs> he was, um, uh, overseeing the digital team at, and at that point it was the website team at Seattle children's. And he was like, Hey, you're a project manager. We need someone to do our stuff. And so I was like, great. And as a result of that, I really learned more about, you know, UI, UX, working with doctors, really creating more content strategies um, for that. We It was in the day of microsites. So we did, I mean, a, mm -hmm. I think I launched like 10 to 15 microsites for each clinical area. And then um, over a span of three years, of course, when I left, they were trying to bring everything back in. Um, what do you think about microsites? Well... Not to take us too far yeah, off track, but it, yeah. it is common in this space too, to still launch con. So like, you don't hear the term as much as you, used they don't know the term Because 10 years ago. I feel like it was, could have turned into a drinking game, you know? Yeah. Times? Yeah. Yeah. I would say microsite yeah. you know, by the end of the day, I was like, if I hear that again, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that your opinions. I mean, I think it depends on the length of time you're expecting to have that and what you're trying to build. So for, you know, an example of a hospital, you know, it benefits us to have as much on the primary domain and build that over time to be able to gain more authority and traffic and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, even at Children's Colorado, most recently, we had a microsite that was part of our brand campaign and it had a lot of different, you know, ways you could interact and it was fun, but in the context of that, it wasn't very, um, it wasn't very useful, I don't think, for the consumer. So this may be too early mm -hmm. and you can back out of it. Mm -hmm. But um, in this industry, when it's common is uh, a brand new lease up, it's <clears throat> they'll say, let's get a microsite live immediately, mm -hmm. like just for three weeks. But mm -hmm. it's a one page like property coming soon type of thing. And then they'll usually replace it with the typical five, eight page, you know, sort of template yep. website. Um, so there's that angle. Then there's other folks that go straight to we're going to host everything on one domain for the property mm -hmm. management company. And we're like a micro. ILS. So any early opinions, I know you're five days in, yeah. but I'm just curious from your learnings, as you have been saying that there's a lot of connectivity with what, what you've seen in the hospital world to what, you know, what you're seeing in apartments, just curious on quick thoughts. And we'll probably do a check-in with you like eight weeks from now to yeah. see how that's changed. I mean, my initial thought in that, um, use case scenario that you gave related to, you know, Hey, we're about to open this property. We need something quick. 
I, and also I'd say from a consumer, you know, renter perspective, just having it not get confused with the property management piece or the, mm-hmm. the owner, like I would probably be a proponent of having the property specific website mm-hmm. just cause it seems like that would be clearer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know yet. <laughs> well, stay tuned. Cause I can't wait for you to come back and give like a a deep dive, but there are some there. You're usually in one of two camps. Like oh, okay. you believe in the sort of all in property management yeah. site, or you believe in individuals. I think the ones that are moving to the regionals are doing that more as a strategy to counter ILS than what they see as the right. I mean, I've heard, I've heard both. I feel like sometimes they're just convincing themselves that this also is better for the consumer. And I have, you know, my clear, clearly my opinion on this, which is aligned with Jennifer's initial feelings is that it's, it's better to have a single property website than than to push people in a regional. I have not found those to be good experience. Me personally, what they'll tell you is that from a consumer standpoint, how they justify is it's like, well, now they have more than just one option. They're getting to see several of our communities, Mm -hmm. but unless your communities are in fact true lookalikes or relevant comps, and in most cases, they're all over the city. That that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense, you know. Um, so, but the ILS thing—they've gotten so aggravated. There's truly companies or clients of ours that I feel like are going this direction because they're just so fed up. It's like we're not going to keep spending three, four thousand dollars a month to be lumped in with you know five thousand other properties. We might as well just do this ourselves because we're locally focused. So we might have twenty just in Denver. We might as well create a regional page. Um, that way we don't have to deal with the ILSs and, you know, we're getting to pool our budgets together, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be more efficient with this. Mm-hmm. But if you really boil it down to the consumer, I think the, your better approach and frankly, from a campaign standpoint too, I still believe is to, to have a single property mm-hmm. website. And I didn't mean just regional though, cause you have folks that do the national website and then they may have regional pages. I'm more of saying, cause what she mentioned is the hospital, if they put everything, all the content underneath one domain, that domain, you know, gains more authority and weight than the individual microsites, which would be the argument for an apartment to do the, you know, property management company. But from a branding standpoint, you're right. That gets really confusing because nobody knows who they're, the only time I've heard residents really connect the management company is with, um, Red Peak. So here in Denver, Red Peak, they're a management company, but they make such an impact on the on the customer that I've heard that customers are like, I know this is a Red Peak building. But outside of that, most people don't know who management is until there's a big problem. And then they realize who, um, well, who's really causing it, not the property name. But yeah, sorry, go. You can continue with your. Well, I think too, one of the differences um, or maybe a similarity would be for a hospital, the reason why for um, just the user experience too, it was disjointed to have microsites is that um, whether you're coming for like, you know, heart institute, surgery, cancer, whatever, you still have shared um, information as like your visit to the hospital, right? Like you, everybody still needs to know like where the cafeteria is and how to get there. And so then you're starting yeah. to duplicate content like that across mm. all the different microsites, which then was not good for the microsite. So if yeah. you have, you know, truly standalone content that doesn't like share amenities or something like that, then you know, that standalone is probably your better bet. Well, now I have to get into this a little bit more, but if you're saying from that a- angle, almost every, if you're part of a property management company, then your, it's not always, but like your dog policy, your payment policy, your rental agreements, those are 
very similar from property to property. So um, the amenities often will still be labeled the same, like we have a pool, we have a gym. Mm -hmm. So from that angle, are you saying that would your theory, I'll say, be that if you had a corporate site and then basically every property landing page has the same T's and C's and all this stuff, you're running to the same problem that you're talking about? Maybe, yeah. I think that would be something to understand um, because you don't want to um, decrease, you know, your authority or, you know, make Google not like you because you're saying the same thing or you have to rewrite it in a different way for all those shared things. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got a dozen examples that I can show you yeah. and we can dig into, cool. but that'll be really interesting. Yeah. So where were we in the story? We were at Children's? Seattle. So we oh, now we know how she got to Seattle Children's Hospital, but now we got to finish up Seattle and find her way to yes. Denver. So let's see, Seattle. Um, so yeah, working at Seattle Children's, wonderful. Um, but at that point I had been there for, in Seattle for 10 years. And when I arrived there, which was very randomly, I was, you know, 24 and just jumped in my Jetta and didn't have a job and didn't have a plan. Um, all of a sudden I realized like, hmm, I own a house. I'm in Seattle. I really don't like the weather that much here. I mean, it's fun to visit, <laughs> but I didn't plan on staying here. And, you know, I was um, pretty far away from my family, which was, I will say, on purpose initially. But as time <laughs> uh, went on, it was kind of nice to think about getting a little closer without going back to Texas. So Denver appeared on my radar, and this was 2007. Um, and I feel like Denver, I thought, was a secret at that point. And and mm -hmm. I think it was not it was. like it was 10 years ago. So yeah. 2009 when it really took okay. off. Okay. Um, and I remember, so, um, I, uh, started applying for jobs and, um, this is not on my resume because I wasn't there very long, but I actually got a job at national Jewish, um, mm. hospital. And, um, that was interesting for me because, you know, I'd only worked in a pediatric environment, which is really pretty specific. I now know, um, working for an adult hospital feels very different. Um, and it's definitely like visually not as appealing. I think it's really important for children's hospitals to make sure that the facilities as much as possible just use light and art and color and, you know, try to bring to life that pediatric piece. And obviously some adult hospitals do not do that. So I was kind of in a basement the whole time at National Jewish and was questioning my decision a little bit, not for moving to Denver, but more that being the place. And magically, the woman who I worked for I don't really know what was, what made her do this. Cause it was so nice. She said, Hey, I know you've only been here a few months, but there's this job opening at, um, children's Colorado. It seems perfect for you. And I think you should apply and I'll introduce you to her. Holy crap. <laughs> I know. And so I was like, wow, that was very generous of you. I just arrived. So so then that happened, and um, I uh, started with a website, and I had, I think, one contract writer, and then I was there for 12 years. <laughs> so a lot happened in that time. And what was the team that you left behind? Yes, yeah, so the team uh, that is there now that mm -hmm. we built over the past, I'd say, uh, four years. Um, there are 11 full-time um, team members on the digital team. Most people focused on content. Uh, we have a product manager. We have a project manager. We have a social media reputation um, a specialist. 
And of course, you know, very integrated um, across the department with marketing and media relations and creative services. And we're a pretty large um, department. Um, we were. We were. We had. I know. I keep saying we. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I, I, I can relate. Yeah. Um, and then uh, to the extent you're comfortable, um, what, what happened that led you to the decision yeah. to, to leave Children's yeah. and then eventually find your way to us? Because yeah. you had about six months in between. I did. Uh, so let's see. We'll go back to Jackson Hole last February. Um, I go there every other year with my husband and all his friends. And one of the days we got stuck there because the weather was really bad and we couldn't drive back. And I was kind of working and um, I started thinking about how I was missing getting to be involved in some of the details of the projects that were going on and um, just started evaluating, you know, I'm coming up on 12 years, maybe it's time to make a change. I don't want to leave anyone, you know, in a bad spot. We were a very busy, high performing team. Um, I love, um, you know, my boss, she was a VP of marketing, She's wonderful. So there's nothing wrong. I just felt like it was time for something new. And so it took me a couple months to start thinking about what that might look like. I originally thought I just needed to go on a long trip. So I had dreams of Australia and New Zealand maybe for a little bit, but then I felt if I went, I might, I was going to come back and still feel like professionally I needed something else. So I decided it was time to go and truly felt like the team was in such a great place and that I wasn't leaving, um, you know, in a bad situation. It was more like, Hey guys, like this is now your chance to, um, get me out of the way and you can work through, you know, some of these things that, um, you can be more front and center with. And, you know, we also had just completed, um, kind of the next three year, um, strategic plan for like our digital space. And so I got to be part of that discovery and felt like at least I knew the the direction was right. And now it was kind of handed off to the team. So I left in August and then I took a little trip, um, relaxed a bit for a few weeks and then, um, just started digging into what's in Denver. What are people doing? That's really interesting. I was for sure looking for, um, working in an environment that was not so large. Um, I've been in large organizations for a long time, as I know you guys have too. Um, and really thinking about how do I connect better with my own community community, which is ironic that it happens to literally be in the neighborhood that I live in <laughs> that did not happen on purpose. In a small town of like 30,000 people, anyway, meaning Inglewood yeah. is like, it's, it's connected to Denver, but it's yeah tiny. Yeah. And just very, uh, fortuitous, I guess, that I discovered digital that I can, I live 0.7 miles away from. <laughs> No doubt. Can't get closer than that. I don't think. Yeah. I'm jealous. I can't imagine. It's a much shorter commute than it was for me when I was driving into the post each morning, uh, which usually took an hour and 15 minutes, uh, depending on traffic. Um, and that was even going in early Poor David, but I don't feel too sorry for him because this was his choice to, to live out in the mountains, but it still takes him yeah. 45 minutes ish. Right. Yeah. Uh, no traffic. 45 minutes. If yeah. it snows three hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, big swing there. But imagine Jennifer, uh, especially during the summer, she's just going to have some nice strolls into the office. Well, that's awesome. Um, So talk to us a little bit about the interview process uh, with with Digible and then um, 
let's hear about the, the five days. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I will say too, that during my time off, I also spent a lot of time just putting, um, putting some of the actual credentials in place too, that, you know, in practice, I've been doing a lot of stuff for a long time. But when I really looked at my resume, it was like, Hmm, there's no proof that I know any of this. And so that was actually a really healthy thing to do to go through and check off, um, some of that stuff with HubSpot, um, you know, with GA and just, uh, yeah, certifications, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I didn't know that you got the HubSpot certification. Mm -hmm. I knew the Did GA bound, um, email and content. Strategy, wow. I think, um, I mean, you know, I had time. That's so cool. It was great. I mean, actually it was really nice to be able to, um, focus on those things. And then I did, um, the intermediate GA and then I did search. Yeah. Read and then I got my PMP as well. So that was something mm -hmm. that I think I just always had wanted to do. Um, I, as you guys probably have already figured out, I am an organized person. Um, I love process. Not everything fits into process, but as you know, organized and um, kind of putting the pieces together that I can be part of, I love doing that just as a person. And so I did the PMP and that was the first time I've ever had to go and like to a testing center. I don't think I moved at all for four hours or blinked because <laughs> I just, it was really intense. So. I was going to say we barely finished high school, so <laughs> yeah. our certification list is short. <laughs> that's for sure. I will say, though, the thing I was Life most... certifications, that's what I specialize in. Yeah. <laughs> the, I, the thing I was most excited for is you had said this after you first talked to her and were introducing me, is you said that she was you know quite a learner. And I was like, cool, yeah, but she's knocked everyone's socks off, at least from my point of view, as far as like how quickly she absorbs and how much she absorbs and then the appetite for like new information, which fits very much in our values. But yeah, you're such a curious person, which I had told Reed back um, when we first met, I couldn't believe that he hadn't gotten beaten down and assimilated yet into the world of corporate because he was still having these out of the box ideas. Mm -hmm. And that I was just like, I don't know how you survived this long, like how your personality yeah. made it. Cause usually when you make it to the level he was at, you're, yeah. you're a crony. Uh, and I've, and making it as a nice connection, but usually folks that have been 12 years in another organization or whatever, yeah. they get complacent yeah. and you start to just feel like, well, I know what Monday is going to be like and yeah. you stop pushing. So yeah. Institutionalized yes. is the yeah. word. That's yeah. actually yeah, yeah. one of my biggest fears just as a person. I just don't, I, I don't want to go down that path and, um, that wasn't why I decided to leave, but you know, certainly I was like, I know my space really well. I know my job really well. Not maybe feeling as challenged as I should be, and it's kind of time to mix it up. So rebrand, rebrand myself. Yeah. So I'm curious that. Oh, you wanted to still ask about the interview process and stuff. Well, we don't have to. I mean, I just think yeah. it's entertaining, I guess, to hear. Like, of course, we were a big part of that process, but just her perspective, and she was yeah. pretty open along the way, and obviously it must have gone pretty well from her from her side of things. But I was just curious to yeah. hear. You summarize that feedback. Yeah. And then, um, and then we can maybe intercept with whatever, whatever, wherever you wanted to go. But I do want to hear yeah. about her first five days on the job, her first week. Yeah. Um, well, I also want you guys to know, I didn't really apply for a ton of jobs. Like it was not like a, just spray my resume out there. I was, you know, spending time networking with people and just hearing about what was going on with where they worked and learning a lot of interesting things. And so, um, when I saw the SEO role, um, I was like, 
Yeah, this is something that, you know, puts me what I was saying. I wanted to be a little closer to the work and, oh, and it's an agency that's kind of up and coming. Oh, and they're talking about this product too. And so, um, I, I have to say, like, I love the easy apply thing, um, versus the, you know, and children's has this too, but the, you know, HR portal experience is Mm -hmm. so terrible. And in fact, I think I stopped applying for about three to, I think it was like three to five positions that looked interesting to me that I had started going down that path and was like, I just, I can't because to me that felt indicative of like the whole, something about the, the way that you're looking for candidates, um, matches maybe the way that it's going to be overall. Yeah. You've said that a ton of times, Reed. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And I wouldn't say our, our user experience is great right now. It's just easy. It's It's frictionless. Yeah. But it doesn't help give you the, uh, I guess the feeling of the company. So it's, it's, it is low friction with like, here's a, send an email or apply on LinkedIn, but it doesn't, um, we've talked about doing a better job there. We have, but if you put any effort into researching us, which God knows Jennifer did, um, then you do discover who we are and a little Mm -hmm. bit more about us. I mean, you still need to go through the process, but I, I would lean the direction that we have, and I'm not saying it was intentional, but that it's a super simple process to apply. And then if you have the curiosity, you probably, well, we hope you'll be intrigued enough to follow through. Yeah. Well, hopefully you wouldn't apply without looking at all that stuff. You'd be surprised. I mean, I would think, I think it's less than 1%, like really like research before they apply. I don't know about that. I, I, at least the LinkedIn people, the folks that, and which sounds like you went through LinkedIn, the people that submit through the website, uh, I actually get very thoughtful, like 400, 600 word, like submissions. It's really well done, but the LinkedIn makes it so frictionless Mm -hmm. that people, they just see it uh, pop up on the right bar and they just click apply. The resume goes no cover letter and they haven't even read the requirements. So anyways, I'm just saying maybe it's more LinkedIn. We do have great success with LinkedIn, but we have to sift through, you know, the chaff. True. Anyways, sorry. Um, yeah. So interview process. I mean, I really enjoyed it because there was a lot of conversation, right? And so when you are, um, thinking about like for me, I mean, it's a big decision to, choose wherever I was going to go. And, um, I've been loyal to, you know, the places that I've worked before. So thinking, you know, looking for a fit to me, I mean, the position needs to be interesting, but looking for fit is really important. And so being able to, you know, read and I, I think talked for like two hours, um, the first time. And then I came in, uh, three times. I think that's right. At least. Yeah. Or did we have lunch one time? I'm not sure. I think it made, we had lots of conversations. We had me, we had, you had lunch with me and David, uh, but we had already, yeah. there were two, we two in persons, I think yes. from, uh, yeah. meeting us and the team. And then That's there was right. a lunch. Yes. And, oh yes. And because I really appreciated that, um, we had the first, and so that was when I met you in person and I met you and not yet Adam and Nicole, right? Yeah. Just the two, the two of you, um, but that you guys had me come back pretty soon after it was, you know, like the next week. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't like this long drawn out process. Cause I think that, um, as a candidate is, um, while I understand, cause I've been on the other side of it where I feel terrible that I can't get back to people in time, but, um, you know, it just shows that people are excited about you and, kind of creates that good energy. I think the more you can get those things closer together. 
Um, but yeah, I felt like you guys were really open, um, answering my questions. You gave me good overview of, um, what it's like. And again, it's only been five days, but I feel like it matches what I was expecting. So yeah. Yeah. And maybe, and then some, and I don't mean in a good way, but, uh, I just know, as I told you, you're drinking from the fire hose. Yes, so it is, it, it is full on fire hose, but that's what I want. I mean, I think yeah. that is to be expected and, you know, new industry, um, you guys have a couple of different pieces of your business going on. So that makes sense. Yeah. Hopefully my head will not explode this weekend. <laughs> I don't think so. All it takes. Hopefully it'll just actually like what I am a processor. And so, um, getting a little bit of time to take it all in will, um, definitely next week will feel obviously much different. So. Yeah. So Are you, did you get what you wanted from the five days? No. Um, do you want to so, get yeah, a little I bit mean, more really, on your, your first week, like highlights? Yeah. Um, I mean, just again, I think I touched on at the beginning, but everyone's been so welcoming and I do feel like I can ask, um, questions and, um, just so many people have been forthcoming and offering help. So, um, just that, if I just had that, like that is, um, really great. And as a new person, not really knowing exactly what's going on, that feels really good. So thank you for that. Awesome. To, thanks to everybody. Yeah. Well, I think you already are hearing it from me and Dave, but we're thrilled that you're here and you. I think everybody loves your energy and your curiosity, your willingness to learn, uh, your background, uh, organizational skills. There's just so much that we can tap into. So I told you just a couple of days ago, I'm going to try and help manage the, uh, the attention that I think you're, you're going to get, and you'll have to do that yourself as yeah. well. But when people realize just how much value is in, in somebody like yourself, then mm -hmm. it, things can get crazy, but that's a good, good situation yeah. to be in where you Thank clearly you. In, early on are already being identified as somebody that they're going to want to talk to a lot. So where were you? I forget. What was the question that you I never asked? got to ask it, which means I already forgot my question. <laughs> I do. Um, I wanted to get more to like some philosophy. I'm curious yeah, what she sure. thinks before. Uh, but before I get to philosophy, I guess the, the one, I guess last thing I, I was curious about for your journey is the jumping of industries. Mm -hmm. And you kind of, I feel like hinted at that a little bit with like why, when Reed asked like why, why the move? Um, but I just would like you to go a little bit more into jumping of industries. Cause it, you know, when you, from the two hospitals, you must've been in that sort of field for 15 years, maybe. Yep, right. Exactly. And, and so why not, I don't know, there must be like some movers and shakers in that world or oh, like, for sure. and, and like small, I don't know, whatever. So yeah. maybe just go a little bit into that. And then, yeah, just, uh, about trying to learn a new industry because the month or so before you joined, I know that you were seemed like voracious and trying to get new information, which goes back to that, um, appetite, mm -hmm. but just curious about, um, well, to get into that. Yeah. Um, well, for sure, working at a children's hospital uh, can be emotionally heavy. And, you know, there's a lot of wonderful things that happen there, but it's really serious, too. And so um, being in healthcare um, as my next step, I just thought I wanted to be open to something else because um, I had lived it for a long time. And, um, it's not that I don't want to connect with something in a deeper way. It just maybe, um, maybe in a lighter way, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, being in the Microsoft world, I, I kind of consider all those years, like that was basically an industry, um, mm. healthcare. And, you know, I guess at this stage of my career, I still feel like, Oh, let's learn a new one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, 
I have been a, a renter um, in the past 10 years, which we were talking about today, remembering that experience. And at that point, that was probably like I said, maybe eight years ago. And I remember it being, uh, kind of frustrating of trying to figure out cause I had been a homeowner before. And so I hadn't really needed to look for an apartment and not having easy, you know, online ways to find what I needed and mm-hmm. not fully understanding. Like we were talking about, uh, the pricing structure and how it was changing day to day. Like I didn't really understand what that was, um, then. And so, uh, I guess kind of connecting with that, um, I, last year we renovated our home. And so, um, I've spent a lot of time too looking at, uh, visuals of homes and interiors. And, um, so I am kind of excited about like this particular, cause I love looking at new construction and, you know, cool patio areas and I'm from Texas. So I love pools. <laughs> I miss having a pool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, I love pets. No spoiler alert. You found your apartment then on Craigslist. I did. Yes. Yeah. So wow. very random. Yeah. yeah. I don't know whether to say I'm disappointed or that I'm yeah. impressed. <laughs> Just so many people really do remember how, like how that happened. And I remember it was feeling a little like weird. And then it was, it was an independently owned condo within an apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked directly with that person Um, and then he decided that he was going to move in. Um, so I needed to move a year later. And so I found an apartment that was nearby. They were all in the Cherry Creek area and, um, it was just, it was, it was not that fun. Mm -hmm. This may be too early too, but I, a lot of the, our clients, so our typical contact is a marketer that's, that's well, a marketer of a management company. And it's common for folks from out of industry to jump in. And I, but we, let's say have taken the approach of, we got to make sure that we edu- quickly educate the, this new person on the industry, even though they're our client, because we know typically they don't get that resource, um, internally from the property management company. They're just expected to figure it out, but there's so much knowledge that comes along with revenue management systems and what they mean and what are the, the pitfalls of, of, you know, X, Y, and Z tracking system and whatnot. So yeah, maybe too early for you to provide or, uh, insights on that. Like, but it seemed like from our conversations in the last few days, you're seeing a lot of similarities between what you did before and the parallel with apartments, even though you may not expect it. So I don't know if you want to give some quick takeaways there. Um, yeah, I think, um, some of the communication pathways for lack of a better word, I guess, of how, um, and I'm, Maybe not. I wish I had your drawing in front of me. The game of telephone. Yeah. And, you know, uh, certain people who can sign off on budgets, certain people who feel like, you know, maybe this thing should be promoted, but it doesn't roll up to maybe a corporate level and how to um, navigate through those types of discussions to be able to be helpful. Um, Those sort of things would happen for sure in hospital world because, you know, you'd have 65 specialties that all kind of in their minds run as their own business. But then at the corporate level, you know, there's different levels of priority and investment. And then when they come to the teams, like either our marketing strategy team, or, you know, even someone on my team and want help or support, it's kind of hard to, um, to navigate those things and to, um, even come up with a solution 
Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I can help a little bit here, but Reed, she was talking about how, um, you normally have an owner you have the corporate property management company, you have the regional property manager, you have the marketer, and then you'll have the vendor. And she was saying that there was a very similar setup where the specialties. So the doctor mm -hmm. is basically like the regional manager, regional property manager in this space. And so they may have ideas about what what should be happening, but then corporate doesn't necessarily jive with that, or the marketer has a different goal a, uh, than than the doctor has, and then there's some there's a limitation to what the vendor can do. So she was just pointing out it was very similar to do we do what the regional is or the property manager is really wanting to do, or the owner wanting to do, when really it's maybe not the best thing for that business, but it maybe they want to do something for their ego, or whatever. So the example you gave is a doctor will often get a mailer from, yes. from another doctor and be, or whatever or and, hospital or, yeah. right, and be like, we need to be doing this. And it's like the ego of like my competitor's doing it. So I need to do right. it. And we see that all the time in the space with the property manager being like, they have a diamond listing. So we need a diamond listing. When is that really the best thing? Or is this more an ego right. play? Yeah. So, or yeah. just not maybe understanding like the, the quality versus quantity that's going to mm -hmm. come out of that, you know? Um, and I think too, relying on, um, you know, we had to rely on our physicians for content and direction around things because they're the subject matter owners. And so they have limited time, you know, uh, we had to be really, um, mindful of how we're asking for the information. Is it in person? Are we sending them a form or are they better by phone? Just doing an interview, like all those things to try to figure out how to get to the information. So do we research, do we draft so they can respond to it? Would it be faster if they just told us or not, you know, kind of had to debate that a lot. Mm. Well, I'm curious, uh, you're talking about the patient, right? Um, or the well, doctor. Content. Oh, content. Yeah. That's what I kind of wanted to yeah. move on to next is, uh, very curious to get your philosophy on content, knowing the similarities, let's say in org structure, um, and in particular, how you think about the end user. So now the apartment dweller, but you know, before it was about the patient and right. what the goal of content was, yeah. because in this industry, there's not a lot of content production going on. It's, it's hard to scale. It's, um, and people are running at a million miles an hour, but yet there is great value there and you can set yourself apart. And I'm sure there's children's hospitals that don't do content. And then there's you folks that were super or, yep. you know, prior team was yep. super focused on content. So curious to get just your philosophy on content and particularly as Reed said earlier, I think before the show, but, uh, points of friction. Like if you have any views that are radically different than maybe the norm. Um, well, I wonder if the world that I'm coming from might be similar to the world that I'm coming into, you know, like six years ago, because I think at the time, um, I think content production and the value of content is more understood across children's hospitals now than it was, you know, five or six years ago. I think that brand journalism has changed. Um, the idea around brand journalism changed the way that, um, all of them have thought and, and really having that patient centric, um, thinking of what's a resource versus, um, like I'll just say from a paid search perspective or any search perspective, we, I kind of have thought of, um, search enhancements and making sure that you're getting the quality content in front of people as more of like an operational thing, not even a marketing thing, because, you know, there's so much misinformation out there around say like a condition, um, like asthma or I'm just kind of picking a random one. We would, 
we, because we believe that, you know, what we have to say and our resources really are the best. And we want to make sure that, um, people find that, that it's an investment to provide the right content with the right spin, um, and then putting some of the search dollars behind it to get you to the best source. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if, as this industry is getting more into contemplating whether content is, um, you know, one of the answers, um, you know, I don't know what that looks like yet, but it does seem like having expert advice, no matter what the topic is, is really helpful. And that's the differentiator out there with all this, all the junk that does exist. Um, that's really, um, I'll connect the dots on, okay. uh, so usually what apartments focus on is super bottom of the funnel at this point for their budget for, um, and so they're all about, if someone knows exactly the long tail search that what they want to happen, a thousand dollars, you know, studio apartment in low high, that's what they'll point it. That's what they'll type in. And then that's what the search that they're trying to capture. But what you're describing is there may be value in content where you're catching people mid or upper funnel. And of course this makes sense on the research side of things, but let's say pick your niche. So if you're the only property in low high writing about the low high neighborhood, then you may be the only, someone has already done some research to know that they want to move to low high. Um, they certainly have some sort of a price range that they can already afford, but they know low high. And now they are trying to find information about low high, like what, uh, moving to low high, like things to know or top 10, whatever's in low high. And that's where a property may be able to find success because they, you know, not a lot of competition. And uh, we've talked about this before, but apartments.com apartment guide, like they don't do great neighborhood, uh, uh, information. The only folks that have done at scale, great neighborhood information is like Airbnb with the neighborhood guides, but that's one of the growth hacks that Airbnb did to, to succeed. And so if you can be the only, now you're an apartment and someone's talking about like moving into an apartment in low high and you have the information, you should perform better than Airbnb in that scenario. And I would reckon it wouldn't be that crazy. It wouldn't be that challenging of a scenario. Cause if there were more people doing it, it would be harder, but since no one's doing it, it should be easier. Yeah, and I think that's where I'm really eager to learn more about the different um, phases, I guess, of, you know, we've talked about mental models before, but the consideration stage, like what is, what are the different tiers within that? And like, how can we maybe find an opportunity there to get them at the right time? Tiers meaning the like user journey? Yeah, but like within consideration. So, you know, they're really like... Um, I, I know exactly what I want, or I'm not really sure what I want, or I'm looking at, you know, these three neighborhoods or, you know, they're kind of like, how solid are they yet? And what do they need mm -hmm. to keep them moving? Low high get? versus low dough yeah. type of thing. Yeah. yeah. The stages. So, um, us philosophy, um, I'm going to extend this or move this to distribution. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how formulaic that was at children's, but yeah, I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit. Cause I think that's uh, one of the challenges with content, at least people that we work with and that should fall back on us. Like, okay, I have this nice piece of content. Now what do I do with it? Yeah. But we do grapple with that even internally. It's been one of the frustrations Brian's expressed a few times, yeah. is, you know, put all of these hours and time and effort into this beautiful video and it doesn't seem like we have a good plan on yeah. how to get it out there. So how did you guys approach that? Yeah. I mean, that was definitely something that I felt strongly about because, you know, as a nonprofit, we don't have a lot of resources and, um, 
if we're, if we think it's important enough to create a piece of content, then we should prioritize the time to make sure it's seen by as many places as possible and also repackaged in as many ways as makes sense. So, you know, we wouldn't try to force it into all the platforms if it doesn't make sense, but oftentimes there was a lot of opportunity to, to expand that. Um, and so we had, um, editorial meetings. I mean, it was part of just, I think pretty, um, ingrained in all of the content team that, um, and also considering like, gosh, we just asked this doctor to spend this much time on this piece. We got it where we are. Let's make sure that we're using it across the board as much as possible. And for that example, if we go back to asthma, Mm -hmm. are you saying that it's, you kind of like have a content wheel, if you will. So there's, we want to do a content about asthma inhalers Mm -hmm. or something. So there'll be an article and now it's like, how does that fit on Facebook versus Mm -hmm. Whatever yeah. versus how do we make whatever? sure people see it? You know, mm-hmm. um, how do we promote it in addition to obviously optimize it for search? And so, from all those different angles, are we doing as much as we can for it? And even internally, how do we, like, as an example at the hospital, how do we educate our clinicians to know um, that we have this great content that they could mention to the patients that mm-hmm. are coming through? Or we had a couple of campaigns. Um, this really cool one was called the connection journey. And the idea was pairing an experienced family who had been through something with a newly diagnosed family. And then we would videotape Mm. their, um, conversations. And then, um, the, the future vision was that it would actually operationalize into this like mentorship program across the hospital. But from a content standpoint, you know, there were a lot of different educational pieces that could be used like sitting down with someone in real time, you know, and going through it. So maybe in this case, it would be like using it for, you know, a sales conversation or, you know, talking about Fiona or, yeah. So what you mentioned or talked through on the distribution side seemed like it was more oriented towards the organic distribution. And that makes sense. Nonprofit, you know, as you Mm -hmm. said, didn't have $50,000 for every piece of content, uh, to market. But when it did come to your paid budget, cause I think you did have mm-hmm. a paid budget there. Um, how did you approach your media mix modeling yeah. like before you promote your content? Yeah. Um, well we did try to align with that because it was coming out of my, um, department. So it wasn't as siloed. So it maybe was a little bit easier to do that, but for social, um, in, so if you have, we'll say like a, a content strategy, um, or like the Heart Institute within that would be a paid branch that would then consider the content that's getting built. So for paid search, making sure the content that you're building, that's maybe the landing page. And then for paid social, they would maybe create a different version of the creative, but there would be a paid running at the same time as organic. And so when you say paid, uh, I think before you were, at least to me, you were talking that it wasn't an ad. It was more of promoting that organic content. Is that what you mean? Or boosting. you actually did? Yeah. I well, thought we it, did boosting in addition to like campaigns that were paid campaigns. Hmm. Um, so could you walk us through the differences there about, give us an example piece of content when you would boost that content versus when a paid or how it, how they work together? Like what was the difference between a paid versus boosted? Yep. So for boosting, um, we would boost the majority of our content, but often it would be, um, the highest performing organic posts that would then get boost so that it would get seen more 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that was um, something that the content specialists would oversee and would manage because everyone had an assigned area. Um, so if it was Heart Institute, you know, what they posted was related to that. So they know how much budget we would just um, use. I would just plan for an amount throughout the year and then they would kind of um, work with each other to decide how to distribute that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for like a paid social campaign, um, so I'm trying to think of an example there, uh, for sports medicine, uh, there was a video series that we created. Um, and so there was the organic promotion of it and it was on our website. It was on YouTube, but then they used that creative to specifically create like a Facebook paid campaign, mm-hmm. um, around those videos and had that running as well. But so. why would you do a paid campaign versus posting the video organically and then boosting it? Well, we did both. Right. So I'm, yeah, I'm asking well, like, why, yeah, why? Yeah. um, to get as many people as possible to see it. But couldn't you just that, throw more at the boost? Um, uh, the paid would get to the people who didn't already know us. So you, you weren't so, like boosting to lookalike audiences. You were, you yes, were then like yes. using additional targeting. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, it's really interesting because the folks in this industry will sometimes boost organic posts for like events, mm-hmm. but they don't really boost any other organic posts. And I think part of that is it's not operationalized. Um, they don't have maybe the expertise to do it. They just feel like they're throwing 20 bucks at it, but this, and they also don't have great organic content, but we do get asked that constantly. Um, like, Hey, can you guys help boost my post? And that's hard. I, I, we were talking about this the other day, but let's say that someone wants to throw $20 at an event to boost it. They don't feel like they're going to get the best out of their 20 bucks, but then hiring an agency to boost a $20 post, there's just a lot of, yeah, calories burned for, for on everybody's behalf. And is that really best? So, um, something I'm curious to get more into with you as you get a chance. And this was definitely something that my team really had some autonomy around. So I wasn't Mm -hmm. always in those details, but Mm -hmm. yep. So third leg of the stool, if you will, um, to the content is, uh, defining the success, like how you're communicating uh, the results back. Cause I feel like that's a, another big inhibitor for this industry is a, they don't know who's going to produce that content. And then once they find out what it's going to cost, they often get sticker shock. And even if they could be resourceful, they often don't have the time, but let's just say that they break down all those barriers and yeah. they're able to like, uh, you know, produce content or somebody else does for them then it's like, how do we know if it worked? So I think there's some similarities here back to, you know, the children's hospital versus what we deal with and me more so David, probably in the regional, uh, example, but if you are kind of co-oping or trying to put your money together and have more authority and, you know, all boats rise type thing, but then you have all these properties or all these doctors that are saying, well, how did that work yeah. out for me? Right. And with 68 different, you know, specialties and a limited budget and you trying to push out content, certainly you had all these different tracks. Like mm-hmm. that was a great example yeah. with the sports medicine, but, um, on that sports medicine, it's like, Hey, we just put a lot of time, effort, money, manpower yep. behind this. And then they come to you and say, well, how did we do? Yep. Cause I have, it seems like similar patients to last week, yep. you know, was this worth it? So how did you talk through, uh, def- yeah. well, that yeah. was a little bit of a moving target, um, because we had not yet, um, truly connected with, um, some of the information that was on the business side, right. To know, um, that good, right? Like how did we actually, so the um, data was somewhat still fragmented, you know, in that way. Yep. Um, that was one of the things that we were really working on. 
um, and that is in progress right now because it's, you know, the questions too would come up of, okay, well, if we look at all the information that we have just about our website in general, and it's like, so we, should we be saying like, oh, we know there's this many, you know, kids in Colorado. And so does this number kind of get close to that? So is that really what did we feel like then we got to those families? Mm -hmm. Like, so even at that highest level, we weren't quite there yet, but what we would do is working really closely with our marketing strategy team who would have, I would say probably like higher level, um, goals, um, attached to that particular line of business. And then we would provide, um, not just my team, but the other teams within the department, you know, numbers that would at the stage that we were, it was more is better, you know, because we were increasing visibility. And so that was kind of where we left it. We, we gave them all kinds of numbers, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, and we had opinions about particular types of content that didn't work as well. Um, so actually our internal clients were interested in that too. Um, mm -hmm. but we weren't quite there yet. How much did you guys prioritize like keyword rank, like organic and brand rank? It's um, one of the things that we're trying to put a better focus on. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's great if, uh, I don't even know what some of those crazy keywords were that we moved up 10 spots and, you know, predictive yeah. Yeah. technology for student housing or something. And that's cool and all, but clearly there were certain keywords that we did prioritize. Yeah. So I didn't know if that was a big part mm -hmm. of your reporting on your it content. Was. Yes. And, um, in the past in 2019, um, working with our marketing strategy team, they were going back through and we had lists of what we thought, you know, were important for each area, but they were working directly with the teams to kind of validate, like, is this really the area that you need more people to, you know, get to you for, or, um, cause sometimes for us to be capacity, you know, you don't want to market something that they are like, well, you can make an appointment in six months. So they were going through that cleanup process, but yes, that was very important. And it was part of every report. And what about social like engagement? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how far along you guys got by the time that you left, if you felt like you had, you know, kind of matured that, that platform. And I don't mean that it didn't yeah. have more room to grow, but that, yeah. um, because that would seem like another data point that would uh, offer some value or some validation, I should say on your content efforts. Yep. Uh, we just launched Instagram, uh, a year and a half ago, we were a little late and that was because we did not want to launch something that we couldn't support and we didn't want to be embarrassed if the content wasn't good. Um, yeah, David feels the same way. <laughs> yeah. I think that, I mean, no, there's, I, yeah. I, we have I good Instagram, I mean, but I feel like why do Twitter if you're not going to yeah, yeah, be on Twitter? I, I agree with it. Right. Um, and you know, our strategy for Facebook had always been more around engagement and, um, community building. And so we never went for the quantity piece. Um, at, they have a regional strategy that they'll be focusing on so that, that probably will shift because there needs to be more people engaged in that community. But sure. it's, it's also the debate of do you, and this is similar for Google listings too, of do you, uh, do that like corporate level growth or do you do it at like the niche, um, group level? So in this case, property versus, um, property management or regional property management companies. But, um, how, how deep do you go and can you actually manage it at that level? Cause right. again, if we were to like sports medicine was always the group that I thought was the most relevant to have its own social platforms, but 
like, are you really going to be able to maintain that with the resources that we had and make it good? Yeah. Well, you're taking on organic media for us. And a big part of that is, is us posting and helping maintain the, the online and social brand, uh, for these properties. And I think, and I'm interested to hear David's take on this as well, but how we are communicating, uh, success and, and ROIing that out for them. So I already know the basics of like what we report on, which is just engagement metrics, but it seems to be an emerging business, uh, line item for us an opportunity. And I don't know if that's just, you know, kind of it's happened organically or if this is now mm-hmm. becoming more of a trend where more dollars are shifting there. It's fascinating to see this kind of evolve, mm-hmm. um, within the space. And the biggest example of that is PPC, like picking up a bunch of, you know, ILS budget, but now you're starting to see that segment and divide out. And we've seen a lot of growth in SEO, mm-hmm. um, that I don't think was there a few years ago. Certainly it wasn't for us cause we didn't have truly existed yet, but you get my drift. And now I'm seeing that on the organic side and I'm wondering what's spurring that. Is it, you know, the operators are saying, Hey, it's just the optics, you know, because that's what controls everything, right? They're writing the checks and it's like, um, our social presence stinks or it doesn't seem like anybody's posting anything. Is that what's prompting this? Or is it that they're actually able to associate retention. Um, because I typically, when I'm talking to clients about it, it's like, this isn't really meant as a lean lead gen mechanism or way to like create outreach. When you're, when you're posting and doing it right, you're really communicating, creating dialogue with your current resident. Mm -hmm. And that should breed, you'd like to think more retention and perhaps more referrals, but I'm not yet myself comfortable with what the formula is or how to communicate, you know, the value and, and the reason to be doing this. So, if you don't mind, you can respond to that. But I also do want to hear David's opinion on that because um, he's often so close to our clients um, on what's driving, you know, the the organic social trend right now. So maybe you can start and just if you have any reaction to that, and then I want to hear what David has to say. She's trying to toss it to me at the get go, <laughs> but she heard mine this morning, so now I want to hear hers, and then I'll I'll fire back. Um, I don't remember what we said this morning. Okay. Well, do you have a fresh, your own take or you want? Um, I, I, I think, I think I want to process that one. Okay. I don't feel like I know enough to really answer that. So what I was saying this morning, Reed, is that it seems like most clients feel like it's something that they need to have because, um, let's say ownership, you know, is, is aware that, Hey, social, why aren't we on there? This other back to the ego thing, this other properties on social. Yeah. I heard about this Facebook thing. Yeah. Right. 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 Doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Or wow, this looks really crappy, but look at my other competitor that's doing it really well. I, I'm of the opinion that it doesn't generate leads because most people don't follow. Totally agree. Yeah. Most people don't follow an apartment to follow an apartment. So then it leads you to is your social more like your version of next door, right? Where it's like, okay, we're building a community here. And I also think that's far off. There's a lot of um, startups in the space that are trying to basically build like, um, like our friends at AppDap where it's like, okay, I can message my neighbors or whatever. Um, And I think that's closer to the version of next door. So then that leads us to, okay, well then um, we know we need to be there because maybe I'm, I, maybe I, client journey is I go view the website and I'm like, this place looks really cool. It feels like it could be home. Now I'm getting excited about it, but the office is closed. And so I just want to get a better feel for things. So I'll go check out their Instagram and Facebook. Now I get to Instagram and it's got like a post from six months ago of taco Tuesday and there's nothing since it's like, okay, is this really home? Or now it feels kind of empty. And so I think for, at least in my view right now, I think until 
it's easier to start getting clients to, um, I guess, uh, consumers that live at the property to engage, which is a real tall order. I think it's more for that, that user that's getting really excited as a lead that goes and checks out and tries to like stalk the place. It's like, I think about like everybody that applies to Digible, the account management team stalks them on social before like they get on the call with them. I view it the same here. Someone wants to see an apartment, they can't see it yet. So they go stalk it. And if, and they're stalking, it looks, gives them a weird vibe or feeling they're probably on to the next place. So. Yeah. And, you know, I agree with that. And we have seen that in some of the, the research, you know, that we've done. So follow up to that is on the budget side of things. Where is this coming from? Is, are you, do you, are you under the opinion um, or assumption that this is incremental budget or is this at the expense of uh, another line item as we've seen? And we know everybody appreciate, has to appreciate this. Like people don't get to just keep adding to their budgets. So typically it's at the expense of something else, but on occasion, and, and we've identified this even with rep management, as we talked to some of our clients, that they're able to get this on a different, in a different category so that it doesn't go against their classic, you know, their traditional marketing budget. Yeah. So it, do you have an opinion on that yet yeah. as, as to whether this is a separate line item or, or is this part of that brand budget when they're initially, and it can't always be when they're initially building a property because not everybody's a lease up. It's incremental when, when, when you and I uh, looked at the data like a month ago, spend since 2012 has increased on a per unit basis since then till now. And it makes sense, right? Because after the housing crash, it was really easy to fill, to fill apartments. And now we've been in a very big boom period in most markets. And in that case, it's not so hard, but each year it gets harder and harder to fill the units, particularly when you have a market like Dallas or Houston or Vegas, that like a lot of units come online all of a sudden. And now it's like, shoot, we have, now there's a lot of competition and we got to try to fill these things so that folks are slowly starting to get back to pre-2008 levels on their spend. And so I believe it's an extra, uh, it's a new additional line item that it's not coming out of something else. Um, God, I had one more thing there, but now I don't recall. So yeah, extra line item. Cool. The other thing we look for um, with these uh, kinds of, I guess, I guess platforms uh, or non-traditional lines is how it affects, you know, the more traditional lines, meaning, um, does paid social and, you know, improve, or are they seeing somehow better conversion rates as a result of being active organically? Are, is their SEO improved, which is a easier argument to make, but it's still not easy, mm -hmm. um, because there are a lot of different variables that are driving that. So you can relate. And so can I with a brief stint in healthcare, but when they're talking about, you know, a patient that has diabetes, it's like, well, is it, is it just a matter of like their blood sugar levels? Is it the fact that they're smoking cigarettes every day? Is it the fact that they're overweight? Is it the fact that they're stressed out, that they don't sleep? Um, is it hereditary? You know, there, there's so many different things and to s conclusively say that, you know, this is what's causing that. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the challenges, I think, in digital marketing, when you get into some of these grayer areas that are not just, you know, demand generation, right. um, and, you know, validating that. So that's why I was asking you and, and it's, I don't want to say easier, but a little bit easier on bigger brands, um, than it is on these small, like property yeah. budgets and brands. Well, and I think the thing that we talked about a lot as budgets, um, increase, like to support social, I mean, we did add more because we needed to, um, but it was like, what's the impact and the cost of not doing this? You know, like, so we lose on our reputation or there's a lot of different things. So. Yeah, that's interesting. That's hard to define, yeah. uh, harder to define. 
But you, this is in general. Um, particularly with the short lifespan, right? Like if most yeah. properties are changing hands every couple of years, it's not like your first year is like your building phase. Your second year would normally be like, let's say your stabilization phase, but you don't, meaning on the, your web presence, but you don't have a lot of data to go on. And by the end of year two, you might be selling the building. And so it's hard to ever really measure the impact of that unless you're sort of an owner operator or someone that buys and holds for a long period of time. But then those people typically aren't in the rush of trying to, um, well, like get leads because they tend to be in areas where it's a more established area. So there's already a lot of like walk-in traffic, walk-by traffic, drive-by traffic, client referrals, things like that. So the property is more consistent. Like, um, talking to a client earlier today in California and, um, you know, that was like, okay, most folks in this area are seeing a 3% or 5% rent growth and not like, you know, no, no other challenges. It's just cause it's a super populated area in LA. And so you have to, well, you don't have to, but in LA, it's not very hard to fill your units. Right. Well, I'll say probably a few months, not a few weeks from now. I look forward to coming back to you yes. on this and, and asking you where it sits on the decision tree. Yeah. So both the budget decision tree, but also even the cadence of like building out a brand. And then as David pointed out, it's very real for them as far as what kind of commitment level should they put there if they're, if they're going to be a quick flip, you know, two years versus a, a longer hold. So those are really interesting, you know, because I wonder if you had 500 bucks, David, or 300 and, you know, you're currently spending on X, Y, and Z. This, these are just scenarios. When or why would you justify organic social? These are the kinds of questions as we speak of friction that we like to get into, um, where we're talking about things in a way that I don't think are, are is common. Like, because we see an opportunity here, but I, I always ask the question, why are we doing it? Yeah. You know, why are we supporting it? Why does this make sense? You know, are we really doing right by the client? And I'm excited about it. I think there's a lot of interesting things there, but um, there's also a lot of arguments why you should spend your money somewhere else. Well, uh, first off, in your comment about how does uh, so organic social impact your SEO or your paid social, look forward to a digital case study coming to you soon. Oh, you just gave me like chills down my Yeah, spine. yeah. And then next up, um, back to your should you invest in it. I think for a lot of owner operators or so owners, um, and even operators, but let's stick with owners. Their concern is getting maximum value for the property as they look to look, look to offload it, right? To sell it to the next one. So um, one thing I'm super curious to dive into, and I, I've mentioned it to Lurch, we just have to get it on the roadmap, um, is to see how someone's presence online can be equated to, let's say, value of the building. So it's like if you were to sell Coca-Cola, you're going to pay for the brand, all, everything that you built up. In this industry, folks don't typically recognize the value of the brand. A lot of times they buy a building and they just kill the brand anyways and start fresh. And so what I'm super curious to show is like, if you maintain the brand, what does that do for you going forward as far as like ease of keeping, like raising NOI and things like that. And to that point, like to your social profiles show how, if you have a thousand followers that have this kind of engagement rate, how that aids the brand. And then again, it leads back to NOI, whether it's renewal rate or like, um, your overall close rate, things like that. But at, at a mass scale, certainly there's a core, I imagine there's a correlation there. Yeah. That's a good point. That's definitely a good point. And then you could, as the operator basically have the data to back up or the owner, the data to back up, here's why I'm investing in this. And I'm actually going to use this in my, you know, as we talk sale within in our negotiation to show them like, look, you get a three point lift because of X, Y, and Z. 
Yeah, I dig that a lot. That makes me start thinking again about that transition strategy for, for us when we're talking to clients. Yeah. So, um, good stuff for, for next time. Cause there definitely will be one with Jennifer. Uh, think again, you know, we're, we're really happy that you're here and that you were brave and got on with us on the podcast and, uh, look forward to many more of these as you start to build out, you know, more strategy and the departments yeah. here. So sky's sky's the limit. Okay. Thank you. All right. Let's get out of here.